Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey guys, welcome to And the Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. For a little bit of context, we just wanted you to know that a lot of these were recorded before quarantine. And as we know, a lot has changed in 2020. So again, please stay safe out there and enjoy the new episodes of And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's smash writing multi-platinum spiritual guru is not only a singer, songwriter, artist, DJ, and businesswoman. She is also a fellow podcast host. She's co-written with the titans of the pop songwriter producer world and has lifted the careers of some of the biggest stars in music, including Justin Bieber, Katy Perry, Camila Cabello, Dua Lipa, Iggy Azalea, and many more. All the way from the great city of Los Angeles, this Californian native has embedded herself in the songwriting community by bringing the positive vibes that every session needs. Basically, if you're in a room with her, then you are not going to be the coolest person in the room. And the writer is, finally, Sarah Hudson. Hi. Wow. That was so great. Hi. Thanks for my amazing intro. So I don't think people know this, but we were about to do your interview the week that California shut down. We were. And locked us in. And... We've been talking about doing an interview with you, I feel like, since the beginning. So I feel like finally Sarah Hudson should be like your full name for me now. Like, I feel like now when I see it, I'll be like, finally, Sarah Hudson. Literally, finally. I know. I was so bummed when that happened. I was like, oh, after all these years, here we are. And now we're just getting shut down. But here we are now, so... We have redeemed ourselves uh, by embracing technology in the new world. Yes, here we are. So let's start from the beginning, Sarah Hudson. You're a Los Angelino, and we don't have a lot of... It feels like Los Angeles, like any major city, it's rare to meet somebody from that city. Yeah, it really is. One, why is that? 
And two, why, why are you not a casualty also? Um, I mean, I don't know why that is. I feel like there's a lot of people, you know, they just, that move here. So it's, you, and especially in entertainment, you're constantly meeting people that have come from elsewhere to LA to, LA to you know, be in music and movies and whatever. So I don't know. It's very rare. Me, Evan Bogart and Jason Evigan. Those are my LA native brothers. Um, so yeah, I grew up here and then I moved to New York for a little bit for five years. I lived there. So I had to get out of LA for a little bit. And now like when you not like, not when you were little, you moved to New York when you were, or, yeah. 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 Wait, so wait, where did you grow up in LA? It's a big city. I grew up in kind of Westwood area um, by the 405, you know, that, 405 and Sunset, that big hotel, that yeah. big, you know, cylinder thing. Yeah, right there. Um, were, your parents, were your parents in music? My father is, he was in a group in the 70s called the Hudson Brothers. And they were kind of like the Hanson of, of the 70s, you know. Um, and then he went on to, you know, work as a writer, producer in music, and he wrote um, Living on the Edge for Aerosmith and produced, uh, you know, a ton of, can I swear? I can swear, right? You can swear. Yeah. Oh, God, thank God. I, you never know, you know. Um, he wrote a ton of shit for like Bon Jovi, Aerosmith, Ozzy Osbourne. He's a really like rock dude. Um and my mom was a dancer. She worked, she was like a dancer for, you know, a lot of touring bands. Like she toured with Roy Orbison and like the Beatles. And so I kind of come from art, you know? So I just grew up in it. Of those projects, were there some that where you got to know the artist, where you became close to the artist as a kid? Yeah, I mean, my, you know, I grew up kind of around, like, my my aunt is Goldie Hawn, my cousin is Kate Hudson, Cher was a good friend of my dad, so we kind of always grew up, you know, hanging out with Cher, which is wild, um, and, like, Steven Tyler was always around, and I just kind of grew up all around it, you know, going to sort of shows when I was like six and in the studio after school. And it just was like my life. But yeah, there, I mean, my, my dad was pretty close with Steven Tyler for a while. He was, you know, like an uncle to me. I mean, he still is. I love him to death. Um, but you know, how, how old are you when you started playing music yourself? Like who, who gave you the instrument of all those people? Was it just that there were instruments all over the house and you just. Yeah. It was kind of just there. I, I just didn't even think of, you know, that it was, I just didn't even think of not doing it. You know, um, I started singing. That was my thing is singing. I started singing when I was really little, always singing, playing piano, just kind of, you know, from, you know, just never really took lessons. I kind of just know a little bit, but I don't, I, I'm not a great piano player, but I um, just started singing, like, I'd say like six or seven, I started doing lessons and recitals. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to be a singer. That's it. Recitals for most kids in the U.S. when they're singing, at least from 
I shouldn't say most kids. At least for me, it was like being under fluorescent lights, singing in Italian, singing in, in like, like having to sing like really traditional music. Were yeah. you singing traditionally or were you straight up already going to like how to sing as a normal human? Yeah, no, I was singing like Madonna and like Tori Amos and Fiona Apple. Like I was singing that kind of stuff, you know, and my singing teacher, she'd come over every week and it would always be what I was listening to or what I was interested in and learning how to sing it. And she taught me how to, you know, she, I was trained as a singer, but, but yeah, it was always like pop recitals. <laughs> how were, were people pushing you towards being a professional musician basically at that, you know, when you're surrounded by that, your, your level of, of singing and your level of music is the highest level in the world. Like you, it's the only way you perceive it. Your dad writes world-class music, your mom dances to world-class music and, and all your people around you are the best. So are you at six and seven, are you under the assumption that, oh, this is what I'm going to do. And are people around you enabling that? Um, it wasn't like a Hollywood situation, you know, like a showbiz, like parents and shit like that. It, it wasn't that way. It was more just kind of part of life and just part of my, my family. And it, they, my parents almost didn't push me towards it at all. If anything, I remember telling my dad when I was like 15, like, I want to be Madonna. That's what I want to be. I'm going to be a pop star and that's it, you know? And, and he's like, please don't do this. Like, it's, so hard and so so much rejection and you have no idea what you're getting into and my and my big thing was I wanted to prove myself and not I, I didn't want to use my dad's world and go into rock and roll and you know I wanted to go the other way of like pop music and a pop star and a, this whole thing on my own and I had I definitely had this sort of drive on my own you know I wasn't really pushed at all um, that's wanting to meet Madonna at 15 must be a frightening thing to hear from a, a, a parent. Um, but you were at that point, were you actually creating music at 15? I mean, you've at that point been in a recording studio. You grew up around them, I, I assume, right? Yeah. I mean, not obviously great stuff, not good music. It was just very beginning level, my own songs, learning, you know, how to even craft a song by watching my dad and these other writers. And, you know, I was obsessed with pop music. Like literally I would pray to Madonna, like she was my everything. So kind of just, yeah, like learning on my own and I wasn't really writing full blown songs, I'd say till like 18, 19 when I really was like, okay, I get it. Like, this is how it goes, you know? What's the first song that you wrote? Oh my God. It's called star. And it was That's, just, how does it go? I, I honestly, like, I don't remember, but I remember this one line. It was like, star is all I see when the day is night and the night is me. I loved like poetry and being, you know, hippie dip. I was very hippie dippy in my high school and, 
I wrote poetry, really. That's how it kind of started. Always, since I was little. Like, I mean, I have a poem from when I was like seven or eight that I'll never forget. It's called Betty Boop, just about- How does it go? I don't know it by heart, but I have it somewhere. I can go, go get it and read it to you. Um, we'll, we'll do, we'll do a, an update. We'll come back and okay. make sure we get it down. But yeah, um, poetry, I'd say, is where I really started. And then actually putting it to music and meeting other people in music, maybe 18, 19 is when it really started to happen. Do you still write poetry before you write songs? Not as much. I really want to, and I've been thinking about doing that more. I just haven't in a while. It's a really useful tool when, when people sit in a session and they talk about concepts. The first thing they do is say the title, and the title is supposed to encompass everything. Right. But so much of what makes an exciting song is when you say the title and then you explain the title, why that's witty, and sometimes it almost helps to write a whole poem to it and then adapt it to the genre of the person that you're with rather than just reading off a title. Totally. You know. I love that. I mean, I, I love walking in with a line or if an artist walks in with like a line or a couple lines, you know, like that's the most inspiring. Who were yeah. your influences in as a poet who grew up around the same time as I did with those musicians that you liked and grew up around i don't think of madonna as a poet right you know but but being a a hippie of sorts were there were there other influences the Joni mitchells of the world who was influencing your poetry totally i mean i one thing that was cool just about growing up in the environment i did is i was really exposed to so much music before i was born you know i mean uh, music that was happening before i was born so a lot of the stuff i listened to the beatles joni mitchell um the doors i mean led zeppelin and jim morrison i'd have to say i have him tattooed just all over the place he's definitely my I mean, I, from the moment I discovered The Doors, Jim Morrison was my, like, God. I just worshipped him. And his poetry and his, the way he looked at life and his, you know, esoteric sort of, everything about him. He was so major for me. Did you watch the Laurel Canyon documentary on epics? I didn't. I have to watch that. And I, I read the book, Laurel Canyon. I think it was called Laurel Canyon, but it was about all the musicians that were in the canyon. And I mean, one of my favorite Joni Mitchell albums is um, Ladies of the Canyon. And I think she talks about, you know, all the hippie craziness going on during that time. Yeah, of all the amazing groups of writers, you know, we talk about the Brill Building, and we talk about Motown and Muscle Shoals, and you know, Curb in Nashville, and a bunch of these places. But Laurel Canyon's up there with the best of them, and I think people don't realize the legacy of of you know basically where we are right now. It's it's amazing how much talent is around there. When you graduated high school, did you you said you went to New York? Was it right after high school? Did you go to school? I went to, I, in high school, I went to an all-girls private Catholic high school. So I, I completely 
rebelled the opposite way. I mean, that, that, the one thing that did for me was like, oh, I want to be nothing like this, you know, like tattoos and rock and roll and art. And I just went the opposite way. Um, and so I was like, you know, I'm not going to college. I know I want to be a pop star. I'm not going to college, you know? And so I, right after I graduated high school, my mom was kind of a little worried about me, I think, because I was, you know, like a teenager, a little crazy being like partying and not really knowing what to do next. And so she's like, you have to do something. So I went to Musicians Institute for six, like six or eight months, maybe, which was cool because it kind of just, I met people there that I vibed with and I started writing with people. That's when I really started like collaborating, which is, I mean, I'm a collaborator. I don't really write songs alone. Um, you know, I can, but, but I just love collaborating. And I think that's the one thing that going there, I met people, I started writing, started really getting into, um, writing, songwriting and, I mean, really long story short, I started doing my own shows with my own music around LA, just like me and like a DAT player I had and just like doing my own shows. And um, a publisher, Barbara Vanderland, I don't know if you know her, she's at Disney now. She was at Rondor. She was at one of my shows and you know, I had met her before through just my dad and working, you know, him working with a bunch of people in the industry. And, um, she came to the show and she was like, I think there's something about you. You're really good and something special. And she really believed in me as a writer, which was so cool. Cause I never thought in my mind, like, or how, and songwriting just kind of came naturally to me, you know? Anyway, so she ended up giving me, um, like, an artist publishing deal at Rondor. And that's kind of where everything sort of started. How did your family feel when all of a sudden it went from, I'm, you know, you go to school, there's obviously a focus there. You, you quickly get out of it because you're doing what you're taught in, in that program and collaborating with everyone. You, you, there are so many people who don't get publishing deals. Right. I know. I know. I mean, they, my, everyone was just supportive. Like they were just like, this is great. Like my, my parents were very, you know, at first my dad was like, Oh God, I can't believe you're going to do this. This is so hard, you know, but just super supportive. And and yeah, I mean, I was like six to eight months in school with that happening. So it was like, I'm going to get out and do this for real. You know, a lot, a lot of people stay in school, in music school and never leave. Totally. Um, so is that the, when you say that project, is that Sarah Hudson or is that already, you know, the beginnings of, was it, was it? I guess I, I don't know exactly the timeline on some of some of the projects because I know yeah. that I kind of had a, a few. So yeah. was that Sarah Hudson? Is that the, you know, yeah. when is ultraviolet sound? When are these things happening? So just very long story short, I so signed my, an artist publishing deal. 
wrote like crazy. I mean, she, you know, Barbara is so amazing to this day. Like I, she's was one of my biggest supporters sent me on all these sessions, really got my songwriting like chops up, you know? And, um, again, very long story short, I got a record deal with, um, London Sire which was so cool for me at the time because that's, that's where Madonna. That's where Madonna was signed. So I was like, oh my God, this is major. You know, I moved, that's when I moved to New York because my label, my A&R was in New York. I made, um, and anyway, they ended up folding and then my A&R took me over to um, EMI. So I signed over there, another deal with her. And we ended up making a record for about three years on and off not on and off. Um, I was back and forth from LA to New York making this record with like Desmond Child, Guy Roche, Shelley Pikin, like all these major incredible songwriters at the time. And I was this, you know, little crazy artist like doing my record. And it was supposed to be this, my moment. Um, And right before the record was gonna come out, the president left and all the acts ended up getting dropped. So literally three years of making this record gone and I got dropped so devastated. I mean, it was her horrible time. And I kind of had this attitude of like, you know what? Fuck everyone. Like I'm going to fucking do it on my own. Like started a band called ultraviolet sound with, who is now my husband. I met him when I was living in New York. Um, We started it together. It was just the two of us. And then we ended up getting, you know, a guitar player, a drummer, and it was a whole thing. And we just, we were very like underground DJ, electro, like peaches kind of stuff. You know, I was very sort of like, fuck everybody energy, you know? And we, we toured and we did the whole grassroots, like, you know, slept in our studio. I mean, it was, we were really, really just doing five or six years. Um, and we moved back to LA and we're doing it over in LA too. And how do you feel now looking back at, you know, getting, just getting dropped? You know, I mean, in in a way, I think people get devastated by that. But mm-hmm. looking back at it with your hindsight, you know, how do you feel about that? Looking back now, I'm like, almost like, thank God it happened. Because, you know, I was in a very, I've done a lot of like spiritual work in my life over the past however many years. And, you know, I'm not... I'm not sober, but at the time, I barely drink now at all. But at the time, I was really just kind of partying and, you know, just very like, I'm the shit and like young and ego-y and I'm a pop, you know, just this whole thing. And I think if it kind of would have popped off for me at that time, I just don't know if I could have mentally handled it. So I don't know. I look back now and I'm like, that was totally meant to be for that reason and just how my life has gone and, you know, the success that I've had. I mean, who knows if I would have 
had any of this if I didn't get dropped, you know? So I, I'm, I believe I, now I'm in the space of everything's meant to be. And, but at the time it was like, I mean, soul crushing, so devastating. I mean, in, in this segment that we'll call, what would Evan Bogart ask Sarah Hudson on <laughs> the writer is, Evan asked, um, he asked a few questions. So some of these might pop up, but he did ask, how do you block out the noise of the world and how do you get centered and focused and balanced in order to be creative in 2020 with everything going on? But I think in the in the same sense, looking back at that, like you're saying, the you know, the craziness of that, of getting dropped at, with an ego is, uh, is probably the most important thing that can happen. I, you can't explain this to an up and coming writer more that the best thing that's going to happen to you is that first failure. It's going to be, it's going to be Jonas Brothers, Ryan Tedder, Bruno Mars, Katy Perry, like Charlie Puth, all of them got dropped. Yeah. You know, like you name it they got dropped and they became better off for it. So how do you deal with, you know, when you have to deal with something like that? How do you stay centered in, in, in it when something seemingly negative happens around you? I mean, well, first of all, that's so, so true what you said. And it's like, I always, whenever I do like, you know, a talk to writers or anything like that, I always say just how, important your failures are, you know, like 99 failures for your one success. It's just like, if you don't fail and you don't have those blows, it, it just builds up character and it, and it teaches you about ego too, you know, and how, how much ego is like a killer. Um, anyway, but um, now I would say, you know, what I think was major for me is learning how to not wrap up my happiness in my career because it was all career for me. Like, I mean, I'm still obsessed with it as we all are. It is kind of an obsession, but so obsessed that if it wasn't going my way or if I wasn't getting to the next place and that I wanted or what I wanted, I was depressed. Like everything, my happiness relied on my career and like, I think that was a major lesson for me, you know, later and later in life after I got dropped and was in the band and all of it and kind of just learned to find joy in like the simplicity of life and like my dogs and my friends and a book and, you know, just things that bring you joy. Like that's the real shit, you know? And I don't know. So I think when something negative happens now or something just intense happens now, I'm, I always just go back to my, you know, my center and sort of my higher self and knowing that it's for a reason and having faith and, you know, my tools that I have now to ground myself, which are like my family, my friends, my dogs, my nature, you know, I'm still, I'm still that hippie I was in high school. <laughs> I love it. You know? You know, I feel like that the band you were in, you guys were around for a minute. Yeah. Um, you had to make a choice at some point to sort of 
start writing outside of it and to start using some of your best concepts elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Why did you make the switch from being an artist the second time around to, you know, this in a way third phase? Yeah. Um, well, what happened was, I mean, we were really going hard with it for like five, six years. Um, totally broke. I mean, like I said, we were living in, in a, in a studio with no shower, just very like, you know, doing it, um, on our own. And my husband, who my husband now, his family took us on a trip to Thailand and we went to Thailand and we, it was a very sort of spiritual and kind of just enlightening trip. And, Um, we came back and he said to me, he was like, you know, I think I'm done with the band and I want to do my own thing and I want to DJ and produce and do my own project. And I'm, I'm just done with it. And at that point it was just me and him again in the band. We all, everybody else kind of, you know, teetered off or it wasn't working out. And, And I was not like devastated, but I definitely was kind of like, well, what the fuck am I going to do? You know, like what now, you know? And so that was the moment where we decided to kind of end the band and, and I was bummed, but I was also like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And I met, and I started reaching out to just people that I knew friends of mine in the business, like Desmond child, or like people that I just had worked with before, kind of like, Hey, want to write together? Like, you know, what are you doing? And just, I don't know. Like, were you still signed to your publishing deal at this point? I was still signed to, cause Rondor then turned into universal. So I was still signed to universal, but didn't, know that I was because there was some weird thing in my deal that anyway, long, it's a whole story we don't have to get into, but I didn't know I was signed there, but I was, but he would call me back. I mean, nobody was writing me, talking to me from there, like for years, you know, I had tried to even get my band stuff to them and just nothing. So, um, anyway, Desmond, said, do you know, for us. And I was like, no. And he's like, oh, you should look him up. He's great. And he's making a, you know, he's doing music. You should meet him. You would love him. He would love you, whatever. So I, I looked him up and I was like, yeah, he's cool. Messaged him on MySpace. <laughs> and he wrote me back and I was like, hey, we should write together. He wrote me back and and he was like, okay, cool. I sent him my band stuff and just whatever, you know. And we ended up doing a session, me, him, and Lauren Christie. And from then, we kind of just here and there would work together. And then we just became so close, like inseparable. And we just, our musical selves just kind of became one. And we just like were writing all the time. And he was like, you know, doing his own thing, but he's also like, is this during Hollywood's not America? Or is this after that for, for all? This is after, I think you are writing with him too. No, I, I mean, I'm smiling because this is the exact same time where I'm just reaching out to people. I don't remember why we got connected. I think, I think we were in the same social group of sorts, 
And somebody just said, you guys should, I mean, I'm sure he can answer this, but we wrote some of our first songs that people were like, oh, these are pretty good songs, you know? Also, he's a genius. What's crazy is me and um, my husband, who we were in our band, we were producing songs for him. And one of them was one of the songs you guys wrote. All I remember, it was like Purple Stilettos or something. <laughs> oh my God. That was you guys who did that? Yeah. Well, well, we didn't end up, I don't know what happened with the song, but we were going to do oh, it. But you guys did it for him, right? A version for him to do? I think we did. Or I don't know if it was already produced and it was going to go on the record, but it was right around that same time. All right, yeah, well, off offline after this, we'll have a discussion about it. But this is, yeah. that's a crazy thing. Okay, so anyway, for us, who's, yeah, you know, us. this great so, player. So you start writing with him. Start writing with him. And, I'm, you know, we're just writing, like, all the time and, and also trying to just write for other people and, you know, I I don't know how long it was, maybe a year or so. We just were, you know, kind of inseparable of writing, writing, writing. And I had known Katie from my band. Like, we had done shows together. Katie Perry, that is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Katie Perry. I had known her from, like, you know, being in my band. We'd done, like, South by Southwest and some Perez Hilton things and some shows together. So I'd known her through just, you know, the business and whatever. And Faraz was friends with her too. Again, this is such a long story short, but she heard some of the stuff that me and Faraz were doing, really loved it. And me and her were sort of becoming friends and closer, you know, during that time. And um, out of like nowhere, she uh, texted me one night, and she's like, what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, I don't know, nothing, you know? She's like, do you want to come up to Santa Barbara and write with me, Max Martin, Dr. Luke, Circuit, and Circuit? And and I'm just like, again, living in a studio, totally broke, filing for bankruptcy at the time, by the way. Like, it was just dire, you know? So I'm like, oh, my God, like, fuck yeah, I want to do that. You know, these are just some of the biggest writers ever. Because she liked what we, me and Faraz were doing and she liked my vibe and she wanted, you know, to write. So I drove up there the next day and we wrote Dark Horse, like in like four hours, five hours. And I ended up driving home that night and I was like, oh, I hope that makes her album. Like, that would be so cool, you know? And literally, I think it was like three or four months later is when it started, when it came out and it started to just like climb the charts on its own. And I, and I was like, oh my God, like what is happening right now, you know? And so that was the moment where the door was just like, I had had other little cuts before, like I had a Ashley Tisdale song and like some other things, but this was the moment where it was like, boom. So, Yeah. When you're watching a song, first of all, just real quick about the experience of going up to Santa Barbara and working with the greatest songwriters of a generation and you being in a position where you're struggling to survive. Yeah. How much did you let that on? Did you bring any of that into the studio? Did you, you know, what was the, how do you walk into a room like that and maintain some sense of self with 
those kinds of personalities? You know, I definitely was like, I was nervous, but I always have had just confidence and I've, and I attribute that to, you know, my parents just always being very encouraging and also Madonna, like just watching her grow as a kid. I was like, that's what I want to be like this fucking boss bitch, you know? And so I always had this confidence of like, I'm good. Like, and I, and I was, I would walk up to people all the time and be like, here's my music. Like, listen to my shit. Like, I'm good. I'm like, I believed in myself, you know? So, which I know is hard to do, but I just did it. And I just kind of went in like, you know what? Like I had to do a lot of talking to myself on the way up for sure. I was like, cheerleader on the way up to Santa Barbara but I'm like you know what like you're good you're unique you have something to offer why why don't you belong in this room you know like I always felt I belong there so yeah I don't know I didn't I wasn't like all freaked out in that way I was just kind of like this is fucking crazy you know I mean it, it ends up being one of the biggest songs of her career and which is says a lot considering her career. Um, but it also, you know, becomes one of the biggest songs on radio, I believe, of the decade. Yeah. Um, I mean, just insane. And it is a thing, like, the people find out who writes these songs. Yeah. Did Universal then figure out who you were at that point? They sure did. Yep, they sure did. How did that, how did that change things for you? Um, well, you know, I felt very, that, that whole situation and the whole situation of when you're, when you're like a writer in this position where you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, you know, you're not just, it's not overnight and when that moment happens and you're kind of like the talk of, you know, everybody and, Oh, she has this song and I want to sign her. I want to sign her. And it's all this, this, you know, talk going on. Like it made me at the time a little bit, like I felt two different things. I felt like a little angry because I was like, why didn't you, why didn't anybody see this before? Like, why now? Like, this is so lame that now you want to work with me or now I'm your friend or, you know, like, I don't know. It made me a little bit like pissed off, but that's kind of just my personality in the sense of like, that's, it drives me more, you know? And. I keep saying to our writers, um, I always say that the world happens to songs and I feel that way with songwriters too, a little bit. Right. Because we, you know, if I were, if I were in front of you performing before you're, you know, when you're getting out of musicians Institute, what I have seen like, Oh my God, that's Sarah Hudson. That girl's got all the talent in the world. I'm going to sign her because, and I'm going to stick with her for those eight years it's going to take before she has one of the biggest songs of a decade. Like that takes, you know, the world happened to you in so many ways, the bankruptcy, the, all those things are all part of the world happening to you, including having a smash where everyone's like, I always believed in her. 
<laughs> we're always attacking her. It's like, you know, some of these things, I can't fault everybody else when I think about, like, why didn't you notice? Like, I was right. sitting there, like, begging, I needed you, you know? That's an example of the ego again, you know? Like, that's the ego coming in going, like, why didn't you know I was good, you know? But that, I definitely, I felt that, but I also felt, I felt obviously grateful beyond, I mean, I reversed my bankruptcy. I like had opportunities now, like it was incredible. Um, But I also felt like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be here. Like, yeah, like I, and I always felt that, I don't know, I just felt like this is the level I'm supposed to be at, like, duh. You know, well, what, you know, the next song that you have that's also huge is Black Widow. I believe that came right afterwards, right? Yeah. Like maybe yeah. the same year, right? Yeah. I think so, it was the same year. Yeah. To go and write with Max, Luke, Circuit, then Stargate and Benny. Ha- how, like, how did you get in, you, you just knocked out the, the, like, you know, the five, like the, the holy, right. whatever you would call it, Pentagon, right. <laughs> you well, know, it's like, it's hard to beat those guys. Like, how did you get in the room with Stargate and how did, you know, how, did, how does it go from, had you written Black Widow before you wrote, before? No, we, I wrote it with Katie also. And oh, right. We wrote Dark Horse first, and then we wrote Black Widow, Stargate. And um, they ended up, you know, it ended up just not being, like, her vibe. And so they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to get Rita Ora and Iggy Azalea on it, and, like, we'll put it out as a single. And I was just like, okay, sick. Like, it was definitely, like, a double whammy, you know, like, and I was kind of like, whoa, this is crazy. I mean, it, it was pretty crazy thinking about it now, like two songs that were that major in a row, you know? Did it start changing your expectations? Of, of well, I mean, when you have two massive songs in a year and that doesn't, you know, I don't know if Purpose comes out like the next year. I mean, you had other songs that came out that were really significant all in a very short amount of time. Right. Um, but do you start expecting the songs that you write to be worldwide number one smashes? Or are you, or are you still able to be grounded in that environment? I think I always took like a very spiritual approach with my writing and and definitely at first I'd say when I started right after Dark Horse and Black Widow and I started doing sessions like crazy I mean I was very new to this whole session world as far as like you know doing doubles and new people every day and you know I really went hardcore in and And yeah, you realize by just doing it that, you know, you're going to have a hard drive full of thousands of songs that nobody ever cuts, you know? And then there's the really special ones that do find a home. And it it was, I had to learn that, you know? I didn't, I wouldn't say I had expectations, but I definitely had to learn that because it was 
this sort of big, like, you know, two massive hits and then other amazing cuts. And then it, you know, you have to learn that it's not always going to be that like crazy all the time. Um, but I've always sort of had this like spiritual approach with songs in the sense of like, I'm there in the room. I'm the channel for the day. I'm writing the song and then I'm walking out and I'm, I leave it there. And obviously, yeah, if I have to go back and do fixes and whatever, but I kind of just like let it come through and write it and let it go because I learned I would hold songs so close to my heart. And if they wouldn't get cut or if they wouldn't come out, I would be like heartbroken, you know, like what? Nobody liked the song. It was, it's amazing, you know, and it would break my heart. So I think over the process, I just really learned how to just go in give what I can give in that moment and then let it go, you know? It helps when you have a lot of songs too. I think the fewer songs you have, the more the songs end up having a precious thing to it. So totally, totally. there are certain songs that have more meaning to me because I wrote all of it, you know, because I have fewer of those, but the songs that are with other people, they have a different sort of value, um, both literal and metaphorically, you know? Yeah. Um, you have a John Lennon shirt on. I do, yes. So I just wanted to ask why. Um, I love that. Um, it's my, you know, one of my favorite shirts I've had since high school. I just, the Beatles and John Lennon, I mean, they were major for me growing up, you know, just. And John Lennon to me is like one of the greatest of all time, you know, um, a poet and a prophet and just so unreal and yeah so i'm a massive fan are you an artist or are you a songwriter that's a crazy question like i i think i mean i'm both i think that songwriters are artists you know like and and it kind of bothers me the sort of separate like one or the other, because I feel like we are artists, you know, maybe we're not on stage performing songs every night, but we are creating something from nothing. That's art, you know, and I don't know. I think we all are all artists, but, but I do come from an artist sort of space. Like I always have come from that headspace. And I think that's why I really get along with a lot of artists too, is because I just sort of, I get it. Like I understand, I understand what they're going through and, you know, so yeah. You've you've written with a lot of the, the biggest female artists that, that exists right now in the, in the pop world, you know, Nicki Minaj and Ariana on a song and Camila Cabello and, and, uh, and Dua Lipa Halsey featured on the, the Justin Bieber song. Why do you think that your message speaks to so many different kinds of pop artists? Um, I think that, Um, you know, one thing I just am really passionate about is just individuality and expressing yourself and freedom and just sort of, you know, really just 
putting your heart out into that song and into your art. And I think that, yeah, I think that's something that like a lot of women and women artists feel. And, and I don't know, I, I feel almost like, I feel this sort of, um, protect to protective, like fairy godmother feeling for, for, a lot of the artists that I work with, you know, like, especially like Dua and, you know, I mean, Katie is one of my best friends and, you know, she's such an angel and we kind of just get along in so many levels of spiritually and, and emotionally. And I, I don't know, I think, I just think it, I try to lift them up and try to really have their voices be heard. You know, that's so important to me in working with an artist. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's a question, but. Yeah, no, you did. In, in a, in another question that Evan Boger asked you. Oh my God. I love that. He says, he says, uh, do a rose and a thorn. He said, what's your rose? What's your thorn? And he, he had some ideas, but, uh, do you know what he means by that? Yeah, I mean, that's we do that on our podcast. We, right. So, what's your rose? What's your thorn? At this time in my life, you mean? Or, yes. Um, I think my rose is just, you know, health and being healthy and being alive, you know, and just and being grateful. I just feel I'm really big on just gratitude. And, you know, I think a big lesson for me too, like even back when, um, you know, right before uh, Dark Horse and all that shit sort of happened, I, I had to like check myself and, and I read this book called The Magic and it's all about being grateful. And um, you do like gratitude work every day and it just like humbles you and sets you back into like a grounded place. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, my rose is just gratitude, being grateful because it always brings me back to, you know, my center. And especially in a time like this and what we're going through, you know, I just feel very grateful for, for health and that my friends and family are healthy and that we're alive, you know? Before you get to your thorn and why you mentioned magic, he also said, um, but if magic is real, why don't you believe in Harry Potter? Oh my God, no. How can you bring Harry Potter into this? On our, our podcast is all about, you know, spirituality and creativity and dr- drawing the bridge between the two and he always brings up Harry Potter. And I, I, I don't know why I'm just, I can't stand Harry Potter. <laughs> I don't know why it just bugs me, but it's okay. We're not all perfect. So what's your thorn? What's the thorn in your side? I think the thorn is just not being able to, you know, really be 
people and be around people and feel the energy of the world and mo the movement of the world. And, you know, I'm like, I'm really an extrovert and I'm like a people person and I thrive on being with people. And I, that's where I get my inspiration from, you know, just people. So yeah, that kind of just is my thorn, I'd say. But I'm yeah. glad everybody's staying healthy and we're doing the right thing, you know, but I, I miss, I miss people and just the hustle bustle of life, you know? Are you ever going to release music as an artist again? Um, yeah, I want to. I mean, I have a project. It kind of got put on hold when the, all this stuff happened because I, I want to start um, DJing while I've been DJing, but I want to start DJing and putting out like a house EP. I'm like really obsessed with house music and I want to be sort of queen in the gay club, you know, just DJing for my gays, house music. And it's called Mother Mary, but I have to just put it out. That's the next thing I have to do, but it just wasn't the right time. I was going to do it in like March, April and kick it off, but can't go to the club <laughs> right you know yeah. I, have you been there's a i'm i'm signed to warner chapel and they they do this really fun like every so often they do like a group with all the writers on it but they've had some amazing like a-list djs and producers come on and you've got everybody in their kitchen like on like really? <laughs> oh i love that That's amazing. <laughs> it's pretty funny it's a really good communal vibe so maybe you should Put something out for your, your Instagram followers and stuff. Get everybody on board or something. Maybe like that. No, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Just a couple sets here, there. We can have yeah. some fun. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're going to go to our next segment. I'm going to go do five for five. I'm going to list five people or things, and you can tell me what comes to the top of your head. Oh. Okay. Let's start with. Do I say it just like words or sentences? Or yeah, it, there are really very, very few rules to this. And to be okay. honest, no one follows them anyway. So just, just okay. you in it, okay? Okay. Um, we're, we got to start with Faraz. Ah, uh, <laughs> Faraz, I mean, he's just such a magical being. Um so talented. I mean, one of my closest friends and, you know, I talk to him probably every day. I mean, he's just one of my, you know, he's my sister. I love that. You please say hi for me. I will. Katy Perry. Katy Perry is to me just I always tell her she's my earth angel. She just, you know, she took a chance on me. She believed in me. Um, she's taken me around the world. So many experiences that I've had because of her generosity and her, her kindness. And I mean, I could go on and on. She's just a lovely, beautiful human. Evan Bogart. Evan is also just one of my dearest friends and what a kind soul and funny and just crazy and you know 
it's been so fun doing our podcast together. You know, it's just, we've learned a lot about each other and just, he's the best. I love Evan. Give a 30 second plug for your podcast. Uh, It's called right to the source. And um, yeah, it's just, you can find it everywhere. And it's basically like what I said about, creativity and spirituality and what are your daily routines are you spiritual do you have a you know do you have a process to your creativity that has to do with your spiritual it's just the connection of the two um and we talk a lot about just gratitude and a lot about you know where to find sources of inspiration and and yeah it's pretty cool we've we've had a fun first season we did it all on our own let's go with your mother oh wow my mother my mother is just a british she's british she's a rose she's just so classy and taught me just how you know i'm i'm definitely like a rebel kind of crazy girl and she just taught me how to be that little touch of classy when I have to be you know so she's my angel too your dad um my dad I'd say he's absolutely insane and just really just taught me how to like be an individual and to just express myself always teaching me just about you know art and music and expression and he's he's definitely um he's a character for sure (laughs) (laughs) what's advice you'd give to a new songwriter Um, or an aspiring songwriter you know, I don't like, I don't want to say aspiring songwriter. I'm sorry, but I don't believe in aspiring songwriters. You're just a songwriter. Yeah. Maybe you're a less experienced songwriter, but you're a songwriter. So what's the advice you'd give a songwriter? Exactly. Who hasn't quite gotten to where you are and, you know. Yeah. One side is kind of what I was touching on earlier as like, try to find happiness in other places and inspiration in other places, because that'll ground you just as a human being, like go to the museum, go pet your dog, do something that just makes you happy in that simple way, you know? But the other side is I would say to really just find out what makes you unique and really bring that into your songs and into your sessions. And, you know, what are, cause there's so many of us. Right. And it's like, it can get like, it can get, if you let it, it can get like competitive and, Oh, they're better than me and comparing yourself. And, you know, there's only one you and, and there's something that makes you unique and really just like hone that in. And, my other advice I always kind of go to is don't be afraid to be annoying. Like at least for me in the beginning, I was like messaging everybody, walking up to everyone, listen to my songs, just almost this like, maybe annoying is not the right word, but relentless, you know, like if you really, really want someone to know who you are or to listen to you, sometimes it's like, you got to just, 
keep knocking on that door, you know? Yeah, you recently just bought a couple dozen DMs just now. <laughs> I know. I always do when I say that, but but that's okay. I mean, I I talk to everyone, you know, like we're all the same. It's just exactly what you said. The world happens to us, you know? Before we close out, and this might be too long of a conversation to have right now, but um, I was talking, I, I've mentioned this to a number of women writers, and um, I think it's part of my responsibility to ask people who aren't women writers this question too. But why is it that a woman like you, who's clearly qualified to be an executive producer on multiple kinds of projects, male, female, different genres, rock and roll, pop, you could probably do, I mean, I can name five or six of your projects, you wrote the bulk of the songs on the album or, or whatever. Why, why have you, why, why and how can we as a community embrace women in a role of power and how can we convince the people who maybe control some of these conversations, how can we enable them to open doors for women in, in that kind of role? I mean, that's a really good question. And, you know, it is a really hard role to step into. And like, I'm telling you, you know, I've tried, I'm still trying. That's definitely something that is important to me. And I feel in a way, like you said, like I have been part of projects where maybe I should have gotten that credit, you know, or even been in that role and, and wasn't. And I think it's just knocking down the, the barriers that were just put up over so many years of just like, you know, oh, you're a woman. Well, that's that job's not for you. You know, these sort of sexist, archaic, old school ways. And, and I think it's just educating people and, you know, and women just stepping into their power more and being unafraid to, you know, go for that spot, whether you get rejected or not, it's just like, afraid and and speak up and I don't know I just think if we had more maybe if we had more men asking that question or trying to talk to A&R people and heads of A&R and different companies where I think it's it should be almost a requirement and I don't mean this in a um uh you know I I don't I don't mean that it has to be a quota because of people not being qualified. I think that there's an abundance of women who are qualified. And, and I would say 50% of the songwriting industry are women. And yet, if you look at, at who gets the cuts, it's something like 19% of, of songs have women writers in it. Right. You know? And so there's clearly a disconnect between the people who are creating the music and the people who are choosing what songs make albums and who are in in the position to choose who gets to go in on the sessions. I don't question that if a woman was an executive producer, like most things, they would probably be inclusive for all people versus if you have, you know, traditionally speaking, a, a, Five ten white guy, you're going to pick a bunch of other five ten white guys that are in the business because 
not not because they're trying to exclude people, but because they're probably lazy and they're probably friends with a bunch of other people who are in the business who were privileged. Right. You know? So I think a lot of it lands on the shoulders of record labels to in a way do what they said they would do after the Me Too movement. And I'm I feel like we should aggressively start talking about this in forums like this. Yeah. And outside of it. Um, and start holding some labels accountable. And uh, I will be throwing your name in the hat anytime someone mentions who should do these things. Because um, one, thank you for doing this podcast, but thank you for being you in this industry. Everyone loves you. And that's why it's like, that's you, you know, you've earned your place by being talented and being inclusive and, and bringing the vibes in your rooms that, like I said in the intro, people don't credit that enough. Right. The person who comes in, who, who brings in unique ideas and unique concepts and whatnot, those are the ones who succeed, not, you know, they're brave. They're the ones who are the real bravery in it, not the person who goes and checks out, you know, necessarily which kick to take off a splice. Right, you know, right, right. Um, so I, I find you to be brave and talented and uh, I'm just sending you love from all the way across like three three major streets. <laughs> the 101. Thanks, yeah. us. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. And yeah, thanks for even asking that question. It is important that that conversation happens, you know? And for LGBTQ too, you know, I think that's a big big area also in music that needs attention and yeah i mean you know part of this is is labels saying that they're going to give money for black lives matter and to people of color money is fine but the whole issue is opportunity exactly and the reason why i'm i'm harping on um in a way women first is that the first thing that labels started guaranteeing and signing on the letters to open up doors for more women when when the Grammys got called out two years ago, right. every label signed this and none of them did anything. Right. right. So how, how much are we supposed to believe them for the next step of opening the door for LGBTQ or, uh, you know, or people of color when they still haven't opened the door to the first thing? Um, and I just, I just want to make sure that we, as an industry applaud labels that, that do reach out and also to hold them accountable for those who haven't maybe done what they said that they would do. And I, we just, it's our generation that can change it. Yeah. So, you know, I just want to bring it up in, in, and I, I need to make sure I bring it up again. Uh, uh, Amanda Berman, who lives also a couple blocks away, good friend of all of ours. Um, you know, she's the one who said we, we had a long conversation about it. And it's like, I ask a lot of women that question, but you know, it's like saying, you know, asking people of color how to eliminate racism. It's like, they didn't, they're not the ones being racist. They're not the ones who should answer it. So it's like asking a bunch of women why it is. I recognize that that is from a, you know, it's, it's not, it's not women who should have the answer. Men need to talk about it. 
Yeah. But also, men need to um, n- need to back back the movement, and we need to go in arm in arm and be like, "This is how we can make things a better place." Yeah. And then you know, I think too, just in our community, songwriters, producers, you know, if we there's power when we come together, you know, and I think it's hard like I said earlier, like it can get competitive and almost feel like this weird vibe sometimes, but it's not that like, that's an illusion. That's just ego. Like when, if we really just come together and support each other and lift each other up and, and, you know, congratulate each other for each other's success and, and come together and like, we can create a movement, you know? And I think I see it happening in pockets and I feel it, you know, just a little bit here and there, but I think we can change that too. And, you know, bring more women in, bring more LGBTQ and people of color. Like we, it's up to us too, you know? And the labels and all of of that, and they just, they'll do what we do because we're the cool ones. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, yeah, I don't know. Just bringing each other together and supporting and not comparing. That's a, another huge lesson I learned. Well, there is no comparison to you, Sarah Hudson. Oh, thanks, Rob. On, on that note, <laughs> we will conclude until the next time when we do an update in probably a year or at, at this pace, maybe longer, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. Thank you too. It was so fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golden. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Have a 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 